Welcome to What's Left in Albany. This program covers the built environment, politics, and people of Albany, New York, as well as the surrounding Tri-City area and Capital Region. Every episode will feature a discussion of local issues, politics, left-wing politics, maybe, uh, or other projects, or, ju or just the projects of people and community leaders, and discuss themselves, whatever guests I have, as well as current news, in an effort to get a full picture of what's going on. This is, I'm your host, Dan Platt, your friendly neighborhood communist, waging my own Cliss 9 insurgency against confusion. So um, in this episode, I have a guest, um, Amelie, Amelie is her name, and uh, she is the uh, chapter leader of the DSA in the Berkshires. Now the interview you're about to hear, this is an intro, recorded after the fact because you may notice my um rather what i'll explain is my mic was off i didn't notice until about the last 10 minutes of the show but thankfully like a good interviewer i let my guest talk more than me so you're not really missing that much by not having my charming voice i let her do the talking but I can point out some of the things that you miss, uh, general points that um, I talk about how her experience in trying to keep the DSA in um, or her organization going kind of reminds me of keeping Occupy Albany in zombie mode. I make a point about running for the hills to organize or prefigure in rural areas, and I pretty much just... A, outline the questions I asked her that you don't get to hear. I asked her about her for her background and um, why she she refers to mutual aid as something that isn't left. I asked her what she meant by that. And I make, to, I make a quip about transportation funding, ask uh, to clarify that she, because she refers to how Mass Mocha, the museum in North Adams, has unionized. And I ask her about the experience she had while canvassing, and that's towards the end. So otherwise, uh, you can pretty much infer what is asked of her um, as she explains herself and what she's doing in her projects. And I really hope you enjoy it because I did enjoy talking with her. And of course, it is the first of many such conversations I'll be having with people all around Albany, whether it be neighbors, uh, people I've bumped into or have met uh, through just my general activities, community project-wise, radio station-wise. Um, or people that I've met or known 
uh, through all the politicking I have been doing over the years, uh, whether it be through Rock by Albany or the Green Party. Uh, but regardless, I will seek to also interview local leaders, um, uh, let's see, the underliners of neighborhood associations and other such community groups, nonprofits. Maybe I'll create a my own battery of questions, but I'll usually just probably go with the standard conversational of what are you doing? What are you about? Tell me more. I think the proof will be, or rather the interesting bits of my own ideology will come through the clarifying questions. How do you think this is actually going to impact the community? How is this building uh, socialism uh, if, if they are a lefty? If they aren't, I'll simply try to ask clarifying questions that may put them on the hot spot to maybe justify what they do, their actions, when opposed to my own vision for what should be happening, which is direct democracy, worker economics, uh, worker-run or community-run economics, ownership, and uh, in general, so on. So with that, um, the intro is over. Time for the interview with Amelie. Sure. Hi. So Amelie Koster, I'm the chairperson of the Berkshires DSA, which is you know part of the National DSA Network. We're a small chapter, just over a hundred members, um, and currently we're we're trying to activate and do a little bit more. But I am the only standing steering committee member, so it's lonely. <laughs> so so that's that's my position here, and I think that's why I was called in. What do I like to do? Um, I'm trying to figure out a way to actually affect change and thinking it may not be solely through keeping the DSA chapter alive. I would love for that not to be the case, and I will continue to push forward with DSA, but I'm looking at other ways to form coalition by just jumping into other organizations and the work that they're doing, or rather not organizations, but because when I say that, it sounds like these like, you know, nationally or like, you know, across the nation known organizations. I'm thinking more like groups of people who are getting together and uh, starting farm who are trying to build a safe place for people. Communes, cults, collective. I like collective. Let's stick with collective. So we were a chapter that only formed in 2018, maybe late 2017. So um, we're kind of late to the party, I think, for some, you know, versus other chapters in the country. Uh, and so it's more about trying. I think that the challenge in the Berkshires is the um, overwhelming group of people who are living in a bubble outside of reality and or who are extremely liberal and are kind of there. A lot of the work that they're doing maybe outside of their day job or not, is working with nonprofits, working with, you know, all sorts of organizations that have, you know, actual funding that comes from places that are not necessarily, they're, they're slightly nefarious. They're, and they're, and they're places that have funding from also like, like, I mean, WAMC is kind of the bread and butter of the Berkshires, right? Like a lot of the people who sit on the round table are Berkshire centric kind of. So there's a lot of, and the, the population is much older. It's a, it's like boomer and up is the majority. And I think that's slightly changing because of the kind of exodus of a lot of cities after COVID and that will continue with climate change and things like that. 
um, and probably the next recession. <laughs> There's a lot of work to do here around like kumbaya, like let's let's be the best for our community and do all these things and aren't we so great, but it's completely out of touch with what's happening in nearby cities and the the whole NIMBY thing here, not in my backyard, is just like, it's, it's, it's grotesque. I mean, there's a water crisis happening in Housatonic, Massachusetts right now. And people who are, who have been fighting against GE about dumping PCBs in certain areas, these kind of hotspots have been making signs that say, maybe they haven't been making them, but someone's been making signs that say, what are we, Flint, Michigan, not Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Like, you know, basically saying like, we're not a, a, a city film filled with mostly black and brown people. Why is this happening to us? So the kind of there's a like a death tone. Uh, there's a, uh, it, there's there's a lot of problems I see here for trying to, you know, a lot of people talk a good talk about being progressive, but but no matter what, it's rallying behind the Democratic Party, the state Democratic Party, the national Democratic Party to to really affect change, and that's like completely, I'm com- I'm completely off that track now and want to align myself with people who are doing that. And that's, those are the, those are where you find collectives and people who are kind of organizing more underground. Kind of torn between those two camps where one, I agree with you and I'm, uh, you know, the, the city is calling my name right now, that being New York city, which I just lived in for a decade, but also, or even Albany, you know, like why not be, you know, or Pittsfield. the tiny city, Pittsfield, but like, you know, these places where there really is a lot like of, of opportunity to, uh, uh, map out power and really like strategize with all sorts of tactics to affect change. That is more possible than in places like Great Barrington, Williamstown, I think. And I think a lot of people know that around here and there's been efforts to try to do that, but it just hasn't been, like it seems insurmountable to a lot of people and people don't have the time. But I'm also of the other camp, which to your point, like to be um, organizing and joining together where there's greater numbers in cities, there, I, there is this, this organizing and collective work that's happening in the country, in the hills, in the middle of nowhere, um, in order that, that a lot of people, from what I understand, there's a lot of objectives that people may have to try and create land and space that can house people and protect people and shelter people based on kind of what, where, where things could, where, where projections could be, you know, where we could see ourselves headed. So, so from my dad and my uncle were born in Cuba and were kicked out during the Cuban revolution and because their their families had money and they were you know imperialists so to speak and they my dad and my uncle always kind of um were uh energized by the fact that they met uh Fidel and Che and my uncle became a uh you know communist a, a card holding communist and my dad like dedicated his life to public education and they kind of were always like you know, like I went, I would go to the Brecht Forum in New York with friends of theirs. And there was this like, so there was always this left leaning intellectualism that I was exposed to growing up and appreciation for. Uh, and, but I also at the same time was like, you know, if you see old VHS movies of me when I was a kid, my dad's like, who are you going to vote for? 
Busher Dukakis. And I'm like, Dukakis. And I'm like a toddler. So there's like, you know, I was, I was raised to be like super pro Democrat, but at the same time have an appreciation for, um, an interest in communism and socialism. What? What did you say? I'm a red diaper baby. <laughs> no. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Um, so, and then fast forward to, yeah, I guess, um, no, before Bernie was running before, I mean, in between Bernie's two camp presidential campaigns, um, it's, it's actually, it, it's even worse than what you think. It wasn't just excitement over Bernie in 2016. It was, it was being appalled by Trump, which now, of course, I'm like, you know, I, 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 I know where I'm coming from, but I wasn't able to organize. I mean, I don't think I've even, I, I don't think of myself as super left until in the last month. Um, because before that, like just, you know, working on Bernie's campaign and, um, and working on some of the things I have in the last couple of years that I have, I, I, I don't think it's been far left at all. Um, and now I'm seeing a need to zoom back and look at everything in a different way. And I think I didn't think that reading groups were important or I didn't have the time for it. And now I'm really trying to educate myself so that I, I approach things differently from the way I was raised. Um, yeah, that's part of it. Um, and as far as like other stuff, I was hoping also with, with Amelie, um, uh, they'd worked on, um, some like actual, like, you know, democracy things where they have ballot initiatives in, uh, in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. So I have to get this tactfully, but, um, basically in the, be in the beginning, it was the org, uh, the Berkshire's DSA was formed around kind of having a social hour once a month where people would get together, um, who definitely were feeling left of, uh, you know, with the whole Democratic Party. Yeah, left of Pelosi. It, yeah, I like that. Um, you know, there was the rise of Bernie, the rise of AOC, all that, and kind of latching onto that and being excited and empowered by that. Yeah, and then um, the the first, you know, there was definitely organiz um, organizing around reading Jane McAlvey's books about, uh, you know, who National DSA uses a lot kind of like with organizing 101, like to, to understand like how to map out power, how to organize unions. Yeah. Jane McAlvey, I think I have her name right, is someone who's written from not only an academic standpoint, not an academic standpoint, but also like a experienced uh, union organizer. It, it, I don't have her bio handy or, and I'm not prepared to answer that question right now, but like she's, she's kind of like almost like textbook for union organizing. And the way that our chapter went about understanding how to organize was through reading her books and having study groups around that. And also the first thing we ever did as a, as a group of like 15 was to watch, uh, was it taking back Detroit, the documentary about how Detroit had a, you know, a full on democratic socialist kind of local government takeover in response to, car plants closing and the city becoming like unaffordable and there were no jobs and all this stuff. And 
the DSA kind of took over and there was a big win. We had a movie night and so we had, we had many movie nights. I organized some of them. We watched, you know, films about Fred Hampton. We, but the, the first major, I mean, the couple of the major things that we did were not at all super left. One was a mutual aid effort when COVID began, where we went to our friends who are local farmers and tried to cut much like the free fridge, uh, project in, in Albany that we were aspiring to be like we wanted to get we wanted to have fridges set up but we wanted to get a lot of fresh non-perishable good food not you know canned beans and shit like that but like stuff that like was like Gucci food um, for people in the community to have not anything that required cooking but like like things that could be in jars um, nuts things like that but not just not super left um, because yeah, yeah, yeah. My understanding is just that um, it's no. Okay. Mutual aid is not the right word. Um, that's what we were calling it. But I think that there's so much work to be done to create the, to me, like, mutual aid is like low hanging fruit, right. For, for creating food and, maybe shelter, maybe, you know, uh, lights on your brake lights and things like that in, it, as like a Band-Aid effect. But like to, to really prevent people from needing that mutual aid, there needs to be bigger organizations. So I think from a DSA standpoint, there's been this understanding that there needs to be electoral work and, you know, creating amendments and like really trying to move the dial in the in the kind of electoral po- politic paradigm and to put efforts towards mutual aid can seem more like charity work and like more of like a if 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 you're a small chapter and you only have like 10 or 15 active members if you're doing what 18 other organizations are doing in the community that's great but if your efforts should be in trying to get people to run against centrist democrats or the list goes on like where where should you put your efforts so that's why i'm saying that because there's there's a lot of organizations doing mutual aid and i would love to do mutual aid and i believe in it however it, it's about like what you can do with a small organization i'll quickly tell you about the other kind of three things we've worked on since forming beyond what i've told you and then you know so so <clears throat> one thing we did which was very interesting was to, and I was part of this. I was, I was in leadership at the time. I, we, we agreed to endorse Alex Morse, who was running against Richie Neal. Alex Morse, uh, was the mayor of Holyoke, first openly gay mayor. He made all schools bilingual because Holyoke's population is more than 50% Puerto Rican, uh, diaspora. Holyoke is, uh, outside of Springfield, Massachusetts. And I don't know the population off the top of my head, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a part of kind of like the greater Springfield area area. I would say it's like Troy is to Albany as Holyoke is to Springfield. Um, and uh, Richie Neal, you know, his office was in Springfield. He's the head of the Ways and Means Committee. He's been in power for a long time, um, more than a decade, I think, if not more. And he takes so much money from lobbyists, like he gets, you know, he gets these, he wines and dines, like in the, you know, $200,000 range every time. And, um, and exactly. But like one of the, the one who holds the 
purse spring, spring the purse strings the most. Thank you. Um, and then you have this guy, Alex Morris, who was like 30 at the time, openly gay, ma- made bilingual education in schools. Uh, um, uh, he made it uh, the, the rule that you had to do that in, in the Holyoke area. He was just like, he was like saying, you know, like, we're going to completely offset our carbon by blah, blah, blah. Like he, he was just like, you know, like I'm doing all of this and I don't give a fuck what anyone does to stop me. And he was stopped by the Democratic Party there. It was exposed. You know, we, we basically we endorsed him. He was running on the Democratic ticket in the primary. However, DSA endorsed him because it's Congress, U.S. Congress. Yeah, yeah. So CD1, which is most of Western Mass. And, but Alex was um, really getting some momentum and, you know, a lot of Richie supporters were getting scared and Richie was getting scared and Jim Roosevelt, who was running the, the Mass Democratic Party at the time, I don't think he does anymore because of this actually, helped to get some students at UMass to basically create a smear campaign that was based in homophobia because Alex is gay. And, and they basically said that when Alex was a visiting professor at the age of 28 at UMass, um, two years prior to this election, he was, you know, matching with students on Tinder. But you, as you know, well, you may not know, but like in the, the former Pioneer Valley, which we now call the River Valley, where Amherst, Smith, all these colleges are, um, and UMass, th- these are like tens and tens of thousands of students and a, a dozen universities that kind of make up the population there. And so this 28-year-old smart, politically active man was teaching a course as a visitor at UMass. And then, yeah, he was, as a 28-year-old, matching with, with people who went to school there because he was in his 20s. And it would be like, why, why wouldn't he... So this whole this story came out and Josh Landis from WAMC called and said, do you guys have a, a statement because you guys have endorsed Alex Morse? Like, are you going to rescind your endorsement? And I was like, what? What happened? And he quickly told me and I was like, no, we, we don't have any statement to make. I don't know what's true and what's not true. And there was people in the chapter who were like, we need to we need to pull our endorsement. I was like, why? We don't know anything. Anyways, he that whole story came out. So this whole story came out and, you know, he won like 30% of the vote and, you know, could he have beat Richie Neal? I don't know. Um, You know, all the justice Democrats were winning around the same time. So like, well, unfortunately for Alex, he had such a bad experience with the, you know, the, the smear that he, he's now, um, he's backed out of uh, that whole race and, and doing any kind of work nationally, I think for now. And he's, He's, but he's the the town manager of Provincetown, Massachusetts. I actually saw him the other day. He came into a restaurant I work at um, with his boyfriend, and it was really nice. Anyway, so we did we worked on that, and that became a national issue because, you know, we were a lot of DSA chapters were like, we're not going to endorse anyone that's not actually running as a democratic socialist, which you know Bernie was, you know, like I'm a democratic socialist, and just they say it outwardly. And Alex Morse wouldn't do that. So a lot of chapters in Massachusetts were kind of like, wait, what? And um, and it became this kind of like, 
but then but then like new york city dsa especially the lgbtq caucus was like rah 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 berkshire's dsa so my friend who writes for the intercept wrote an article about this whole story and and we were like kind of like a feature of it because you know the small little dsa chapter because we who stood behind alex morris anyway so that was that was a fun ride and to finish your question, I appreciate all that you just said. The last thing I'll say, because this is what Colin wants to talk about, is that our DSA chapter got behind canvassing for two amendments on the ballot this midterm election. One was yes on one, which was um, yes for the uh, fair share amendment, which is um, anyone making taxable income in a household over a million pays 4% more an income tax that would go to transportation and public education. And we won that, uh, we being Massachusetts. See, I mean, I, I hope that transportation infrastructure, I, that's reading the fine print would be important, but I, you know, that the whole, tr I mean, we, that's a whole nother avenue to go down, like trains versus planes and automobiles and what's happening in this country. But that's a really good point you bring up. Next, next topic for the next show. The second amendment, no, I mean, but I hear you. Next, yeah, the second amendment that we worked on was um, yes on four, which is to um, to keep the law protected that uh, illegal immigrants can get a license, thereby being able to get insurance. So if they're in an accident, they don't lose their car, they don't driver's licenses. Yep. And where we're going from here is is. The the, for, the former co-chair, um, Sid Rothstein, he's a great guy. He's or he's organized a series of events in North Adams where he's based and is kind of, you know, talking to different people. One person from the Mass Mocha Union, um, someone who ran against the state. Uh, UAW is the 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 infrastructure behind it. It's um, and there's. Almost all of the non-managerial staff, I think, are, are union members now. And it formed just uh, spring of last year, and they just went on strike. And, you know, they've been trying to bargain for an increase in wages and all that. And I, I think they're still in talks. Uh, so yeah, someone from there spoke. Um, and then we've had someone who ran against uh, David Barrett, who was actually one of the people who helped found Mass Mocha through working with the state government back in the eighties when Joe Thompson was trying to get the museum off the ground. And he's kind of, uh, known, you know, he's an old white man. That's, we'll just say that. And so he, but he, you know, this, this woman from MCLA, Massachusetts college of liberal arts, who was like 23 or something ran against him and actually got 30% of the vote in North Adams. And, you know, but lost and couldn't actually campaign for herself because she works for a state school. And then, and then, you know, so we have Tara, forget her, Tara Jacobs, who's now the new uh, gubernatorial something uh, manager or something. Yeah, whatever. Um, she, I, sorry, Tara, I love you, but I don't remember her title, but she, there's, there's other people that are going to be brought into for the series, we have another one on the first in North Adams at the community center in town, just to talk to people about how they're they're using their progressive tactics. It's giving you a little background of what what I haven't been working on organizing these, but Sid, who's a former co-chair, 
has been organizing these kind of uh, round shape round table discussions with different people who were involved in electoral politics in the last midterm election or local union work and trying to like pick brains and inspire people to get active somehow in that way. And that's, that's what D that's what Berkshire's DSA is doing right now. And that's, that's it. <laughs> the most common reaction I get is I've got a camera on you. What are you doing at my house? I'm about to call the police. <laughs> just the yeah the handful of times it's it's people don't want to be bothered um they they don't even i mean if i were in my home and someone was knocking on my door it's a lot of places where people are like you know whether it's don't tread on me or it's just like i don't want like i i want to form my own opinion i'm trying to like People, people don't want to be canvassed in general, or they're like, oh, yeah, I already have my sign, or, hey, I already have a Black Lives Matter sign. Obviously, I'm for yes, I'm for. Well, like, it's just a lot of people, it's, it's, I, I have a hard time doing canvassing. Um, so let me start over again quickly. Um, I went over the governor's uh, number, the governor's race's numbers, basically, for the past few years, or rather, voter turnouts for New York. And... Uh, so in 2022, there were 3 million Democrats that voted for Hochul, 2.6 million voted for Zeldin. This compares to five and a quarter million for Biden, 2020, three and a quarter million for Trump. So that's 20% less of the Trump voters came out for Zeldin, but 43% less came out for Hochul of, of those that came out for Biden. So there were way more people activated to vote against Trump than for, you know, or against Zeldin even. And in 20, but the, but the compare to 2018, the last time it was for governor, um, when it was Como. So just to say it was 20% less Democrats voted for Hochul than Como four years ago. But compared to the number of people who voted for the Republican in 2018, don't even remember their name, 20% more Republicans came out to vote for Zeldin. So that's just how, like that's what it, that's the difference between kind of a Democrat winning or a Republican losing or a Republican winning is that if there was a 30 percent or not, not so much 30, but a 40 percent increase in Republican voters or the same number of actually if all the Trump voters came out and voted for Zeldin, then he would have won. That's 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 kind of the thing that kind of that that was kind of in people's heads when they were saying, well, Zeldin might win. Yeah, if every Trump voter comes out and votes for him. But that doesn't happen and will not happen, just as everyone who came out for Biden is not voting for Hochul or coming out to vote Democrat in midterm because it's just is a it's the rule that there's at least 20 percent less voters. But maybe that's the difference. It's 40 percent less usually in midterms. But this time, at least for Republicans, it was only 20 percent less. Only half as many you know, people didn't come out, so to speak. And just uh, as a uh, as a crazy crazy things in 2020, I looked up the result that um, 2,220 people voted for Kanye West and wrote him in. So anyway, what was that number again? Uh, about um, 2,220. This is compared to uh, the 32,000 that voted for Howie and the uh, 60,000 that voted for JoJo, the Libertarian candidate. Uh, but this is comparing this 
to the last gubernatorial election where we had the uh, Russian standards of, of ballot access uh, instead of worse than Russian standards as this year. Uh, 2018, uh, 104,000 voted for Howie for governor, 95,000 for the Libertarian, which was Larry Sharp. Um, and then half that, 55,000 voted for uh, Mayor Meyer of the SAM party, which was the poster child of like, look at all these frivolous parties that exist in, America, in New York. But at least they weren't a fusion party running like under, under coma, basically. So they have my respect in that respect, even though they were basically the forward party, uh, but on the state level for New York. So, um, Colin, take it away. What, what are your thoughts on that? On all this, all this, the election. Um, anyway, why don't you give your reaction, Emily? And and uh, how what was it? Was there a governor's race uh, on your side of the border? Oh, Colin dropped. Yes. Sorry. So <laughs> something was. Oh, he he did tell me he had internet issues. So okay. the signal finally maybe um, gave out. I don't have a lot to. I don't have a lot of. Right. Under- oh, there's Colin. Let's yes. So um, Emily said she doesn't have under- she doesn't understand New York politics. Uh, apparently, I'm these Massachusetts off. people are uh, in their own little world. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, Colin, um, how much how much did you hear before cutting out? Um, I heard pretty much everything until like the last I don't know ten seconds or something. Okay. So what do you think about the midterms, Colin? What, what's what's your uh, what's your take? I'm disappointed that Democrats didn't lose worse, in all honesty. But um, – and I was wrong. The whole um, – was, um, was this just because like, more Zeldin signs and she's bad? But, I mean, you know, Zeldin's off. The, you know, the, you know, he's just like, a crazy person. Uh, but I just thought he was going to mo- mo- motivate a lot more kind of like people. Um, but I guess I'm glad that he didn't for now. Um, but, I mean, he's the governor uh, of like – I don't know, four to know, forty-five counties. Uh, if if you want, mm. if we want to split the state, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so very, very funny that Sean, that Sean Maloney lost his seat after being in a district and beating out a progressive Dem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that hilarious. How local like. Handedly won uh, let's see Ulster because probably Woodstock and second uh, New York City New York. and then Tompkins County that's San Francisco uh, New York yeah and then yeah and then New York City itself that's, that's yeah, gonna, yeah sure gonna be. I mean this is just the, this is the makeup of the states yeah but yeah very narrow wins in other Democratic strongholds. Um, Mm-hmm. So it's been a satis- kind of satisfaction. Well, they're not really strongholds then. I mean, uh, the local party couldn't do get out the vote in a way that was effective, it seems, or effective outside of inertia of legacy voters, I would call them. Well, they, they, ran, they ran purposely on this kind of platform of, like, it was a conservative platform. I don't even know if there was a platform. It was just, we're not Zeldin. Republicans are evil. Protect abortion, which I agree, protect abortion. Like, it's already it's already a thing in New York, so... And Zeldin himself says, I'm not taking it away, because they're looking to do it. So it's like, the anti-choice as he wants to be. 
as you know bad as that is, but like he's in the way. So I'm like, oh well, we need to protect abortion access. It's like you already didn't go to this. They're going to like find some change in. The it's almost the kind of rationale that a Republican can be governor of New York so long as um, we have such a Democratic legislators that they can't do the really the bad stuff. But they can be fiscally conservative and rein in the crazy, you know. But that's the thing. If people are just voting along cultural, like, punish my enemies, which might have been what was motivating any voter at this time, and not policy. really need Republicans to punish enemies punish everybody anyway. Like, they're just going to try to flood New York City with more cops instead of actually, like, Goal or anything more effective than effective. The Trump's million dollars that are at a project to pay landlords, landlords a month so they can get people to rent into the apartment. It actually, affects, actually affects the homeless population. Like, it's like, like, you know, getting both people that's not so It bad, does. But... Anyway. Sorry, yeah, final I was half right, half wrong. Take it. As long as uh, opportunity, opportunity, not just admonish liberals, you know, centrists, really, um, but also use that as an opportunity to point where their um, their policies are completely inefficient you know, to actually what the working class needs. Mm-hmm. To we need to not just you know do uh, party organizing out ways to do the actual community, community, and talking to people about what they need and how to get people uh, to work to meet basic needs. All right. Thank you, Tom. Okay. So we're about end of the hour, uh, and I actually want to play my outro. But, um, uh, Amelie, uh, any any final words, and then I'll give my own general outcome uh, yeah. of the midterms, I suppose. We'll make that the topic. <clears throat> yeah. For me, this was a pivotal point in my, as you said so well, and as Colin understands, and that's why I'm on the show probably, is that mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was – you know, months ago saying to DSA members, like, hey, you know, people had backed out of the DSA over the last year and for various reasons, and I understand a lot of them. And I'm, the reason I'm keep, the reason I'm about to hop on a call for DSA, mm-hmm. uh, for the New England District DSA call right now is because it, it, it can be something it, for me, and I've explained this to Colin, is like, it's the largest socialist uh, network across the country. So whether or not it's it's being led in in the best way right now, it real there you know there's so many caucuses and fractions fractionalization of. You mean factions? And, and yeah, yeah. It's, I mean they mean the same thing. Th- you you mean the same thing? I do. Yeah, um, and, and of the DSA um, and the left in general. So like it, it really. To to try to in the same way that parties have been hijacked, I feel the need to, and I've talked about this with the member members of the Berkshires Communist Party, who I am involved with, um, mm. and you know, on a in a reading group with tomorrow, like there, the only let's just all come to the table together. Um, should there be like strategy wise? How can we hijack the DSA to make it what we want it to be? Or, you know, like... Okay, uh, so I'm late. Sorry. This is a live show, and we're over the hour. So um, uh, thank you for your parting words. Thank you for joining us. Uh, You've been quite a 
quite a peach. Uh, no, I never would use that word. I'm just going off the cuff. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and uh, and I hope this is not the last time uh, we speak or um, or just interact in general. So um, totally. Yeah. So good luck, thank bon you. chance, um, and we shall meet again. Thank you very much. All right. Talk to you all very soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. So wrapping up this episode of What's Left in Albany, and I'll turn it back to the automated. Um, still working things out and still not keeping to an hour because it's been so long since, uh, you know, we're edging towards having a schedule. Then I will actually keep up in the hour and because uh, I never had to before. I always went two hours. So, right. So I have to do more of that management, right? Uh, okay. So anyway, uh, that was that was quite a trip and pretty good. Uh, general thoughts. I probably have been saying this over and over with my show that you can't really change organizations that are kind of meant to not do certain things. So like she could, you can start a social club with a DSA chapter, but if you're actually going to run a socialist for like an election, uh, that's not that's something that seems no DSA chapter actually does. Um, a democratic socialist. I wouldn't even call them that. They're social democrats in the Democratic Party. So um or they're or they're just progressive Dems. They're just the more progressive version of a standard Democrat. That's kind of the way I see it and that's how I see things playing out. Because uh, you just cannot change the superstructure of what an org is, which is Democrats, which is not actually meant to do anything. Just do things for your own interests. But uh, that's not obviously how people interact with it sometimes, especially when they are a community organizer, wins local election, and does their best to improve things somewhat. So anyway, um, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, this has been the latest edition, uh, <laughs> mid-November of 2022, of the What's Left in Albany. Uh, no outro music. got to cut myself off. Thank you very much.